Well, greetings and welcome to, uh, to the worship of our Lord. Um, it's very good and, and very pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity, and uh, it's a blessing to me to, to come here to preach the word to you and to meet you all. Uh, it's been such a blessing these last few days. Um, looking forward to getting to know uh, some of you a little bit after the service. Um, where I can introduce myself, but right now we're here to study the Word of God together. Bear with me as I bring up my notes, God willing. We're going to look at uh, Ephesians 5, you can turn in your scriptures with me. And Ephesians uh, is a, a one of the Epistles of Paul, Paul the Apostle, who was the Apostle to the Gentiles, uh, probably most of you and me. Without Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, you and I would uh, not be included in the kingdom of God. And uh, Paul was a Jew. He was uh, of the circumcised. He was, he was a, a great, a learned man who God... Uh, watched as he persecuted the early apostles and the early Christians, the very first Christians. This is the man who wrote the scripture. And it's a miracle. It's a miracle that, that this scripture was produced by a man who, who hated God, who hated Jesus Christ, and he wanted to see Jesus Christ's followers die. This was a man who was compelled to, to kill God's people. Keep that in mind. As we go through Ephesians 5 together, uh, he wrote this to the Ephesians. There are some manuscripts that don't include the words uh, to Ephesus. And that's because this letter was, was copied prolifically and it was distributed to many cities. And, but we do know that he originally wrote it to the Ephesians. But this is, this is some of Paul's highest, uh, most Christological uh, most theological, but also most edifying and down-to-earth advice to Christians. And so, as we read this, we just we we come to it humbled that it was written by a man who didn't know God, and and all of us at one point in our lives we didn't know God, but God called us to Him savingly. And there may be some of you here today who are questioning whether you've been called to God. And you may be the Paul today. You may be the one who God has called to become a servant and to minister to his people. So consider that as we read um, from Ephesians 5. The title of the sermon is, is Imitating God. And we, as we read, we'll see why that is. Therefore, this is from the ESV. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude jesting, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that 
Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, or who has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No one, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Ephesians 5 is, is a, an instruction on how to be like God. And what a, what a wonderful message that is you know, to us creatures. Uh, what a daunting message. You have to be asking yourself, if you have any humility at all, how could I possibly ever even conceive of imitating God and, and being like God? He's so far above me. And you would be right to think those thoughts, that he is a wonderful, majestic God and in a sense, you can't ever be like God. But God is calling you to be like him. And isn't that interesting? That the, the great creator of all things, the most powerful, high creator, redeemer, sanctifier of the world, who promises to not only have be the creator, have, have created all things, but then to... Uh, one day recreate all things. He created you. And he promises one day to recreate you in his resurrection. What a, a wonderful, challenging, and uh, uh, challenging message. 
Have you ever wanted to do something so bad in life that you, you just had to learn about it? Uh, maybe it was, it was uh, a gardening. Some of you may know that uh, I call myself a master gardener. Well, I wasn't always uh, uh, someone who knew anything about gardening. There was a day when I, I didn't know what to do, and I had a, a little rototiller that, that couldn't even go uh, an inch into the ground, and um, our garden was, was pretty pathetic that year. So I got some books, and I decided if I'm gonna if I'm gonna garden, I need to figure out how to how to do this. And so I got some books, and I, I I watched some videos. And isn't that what you would do if you were wanting to learn how to do something? You would find all the resources you could, figure out how to do that. So how do you think that you're going to answer this call of God to? to be imitators of God as beloved children. And God gives you three ways here in this passage. In the first section, he gives you uh, verses 1 through 6. He gives you the command in order to do this, to be like God, that you walk in love. And I ask you, what do you think that love is? Does that mean that you have feelings of of love for God and for other people? Does that mean that uh, you have great interest or pleasure or you like or enjoy it much? These are the the dictionary definitions of love, the things that you are interested in, and you take pleasure in them, and you like them, you enjoy them. These are the things that you love. Or is that too small a a definition of love, the dictionary definition in all its its parts? Is it it just an intense feeling? Those of us who have been married, we know that uh, the the feelings you have on your wedding day are not the feelings necessarily you have 2, 3, 10, 15, 20 years later. And those whose uh, marriages end in tragedy, they know that that, uh, the feeling is not enough. Is love a a decision? Is love a decision? When you're trying to figure out how to imitate God and and what what is he asking me to do here? Do I just need to decide to love and, and, uh, and make it happen? Is that what God's calling you to do? I would tell you no. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God. God is not calling you to have a, a feeling, but to realize love is not that we have loved God, but to know that he loved us. My question for you is, do you know? Is there a remaining question in your mind? How much does God love me? Is he big enough to love me? And if your answer is, I, I have my doubts, Listen to the rest of 1 John 4, 7 through 12. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You mean love is that somebody would forgive me of my sins? Not only that God loved me, he didn't just have a feeling towards me, but that he he forgave me. In this is love that God was made manifest, that God came in the flesh. That's what made manifest means. So 
1 John 4 is really upping the definition of what love is. God did it for us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He made himself manifest, tangible, a tangible love, not just a feeling. And in verse 16, it says, We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Love is faith. Loving God is faith that he has loved you. We believe in his love. And that is walking in love and walking in his love. We are called to walk in God's love. And then 1 John 4 famously said, God is love. We love because he first loved us. In verse number 2, we learn a lot about what... uh, 1 John 4 says, in verse 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I put forth to you that love, walking in love, is sacrifice. That is the definition that you will not find in the dictionary. There's no dictionary, other than maybe a, a Christian one with some really good theology, That tells you that love is sacrifice. And when you sacrifice your desires for somebody else, that's true love. When you put yourself aside, as Christ did, and you make yourself an offering to God through your love of somebody else, that is is true love. Verses 3 and 4, what is love not? Paul goes on to help us to, to teach us what love is not. He says it's not sexual immorality. I had a friend, uh, a college student, who told me that he believed that his sexual immorality was showing the love of God to the person he was uh, not married to with a straight face. And there are people out there who would tell you the same thing. But sexual immorality is not love. Fulfilling your desires, doing what you like, what gives you pleasure is not love. All impurity or covetousness, covetousness, little children, do you ever want things when you go to the store? You think that maybe you love that, that thing you see on the shelf and you just, you just have to have it. We've all been there. Uh, I remember probably being the, the most covetous child. Coveting means that you want what isn't yours and that you're not happy with, with what God has given you. If God has given you many blessings and you're not thankful for those little things, maybe, maybe your blessing is a, a little rag dolly that your mama made and it's not a fancy doll from the store but you are thankful that your mama made that for you. That is, that is love. It is not coveting. We must not even name these things among ourselves as is proper among saints. There should be no filthiness, no, no foolish talk or jesting. Parents, uh, working, working class people, uh, do you bring your office jokes and banter home? Do you, 
Do you hear those, those crude jesting at work? And you, you bring that home and into your holy family life. God ordained your family. When you took vows, you said that, that God was joining you. Your family belongs to the Lord. And can you bring those things into your family? That crude jesting and banter. We're, many of us are guilty of that. Very few of us are, are not. question is, do you speak to your father with that mouth? Have you ever heard that phrase? You speak to your mother with that mouth when you're not speaking kindly, or do you speak to your father in heaven with that mouth when you pray? It's a question we can ask ourselves, whether we are engaging in foolish talking and foolish jesting. That is not love. Verse 5 says, there will be no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Only children get the inheritance. Only a child of God mimics God and seeks to be like God. Only a little child looks at their parents and says, my mommy and daddy are my heroes. I'm going to do what they're doing. And if you are not a little child, you will not have the inheritance. Being a child of God does not just mean you have to live up to God's standards, which it does, but it means that you get God's promises. God has great promises. And the inheritance of Jesus Christ, his righteousness, for one, which covers your sins, which we read about in Isaiah 53, You get that as a child of God. You get Jesus' righteousness. He took your sins for you. You get that. That's your inheritance as a child of God. But there is no inheritance for those who are not adopted into God's family. What is adoption? Westminster Confession, uh, or Shorter Catechism 34. Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number, the number of his family, the number of his children. And we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. That is adoption. That is what you want. You want all those rights and privileges and his grace. We have a a lastly... um, Just a reminder of that, of that question. How is it that you can mimic God? And we've all seen little kids mimic their parents. Sometimes you parents, you think, man, I wish my child wasn't mimicking me right now because they're learning some really terrible things. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not completely sanctified yet. And you, then you think, well, maybe if I tell them, you know, do as I say and not as I do, that that will, that will make up the difference. But... The question I leave you with is, is how can you mimic a great and mighty and glorious and holy and wonderful and perfect and loving God? How can you do that? You should find out how you can do it if you don't know. 
You should read scripture and ask, how can I mimic God? How can I be like Jesus Christ? How can I be like the the apostles and the saints who've gone before me? How can I be the man who, who dies burning at the stake, singing songs of joy to God and refusing to deny Jesus Christ? So many Christians have done that. How can that be you? Verses 7 through 14, walking in light. This is uh, one of the best parts of how you can imitate God, walking in light. In creation, God created light. We read John 1, where God talks about, John talks about God, Jesus Christ, the word creating, and nothing that was made was with, made without Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is, is the, the light. He's that light in the, the darkness, the temple, the candlestick shining in the temple. And all the golden walls, everything encrusted with gold, reflecting that light. And that's, what, that's the image that you should be getting here from Paul that John picks up on and that Moses picked up on is that God is a God of light and there's no darkness. Darkness flees from him. That he creates light. So how, does that, how do you walk in the light? Well, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we also know uh, from John 5 that Jesus is the light. John picks up, if you remember from, from your study of John this last year, that Jesus is, describes himself as the light. He's the word that enlightens your mind. And we are supposed to walk, verse 8, as children of light. How do you do that? It says, bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit working in your life brings you into a fruitful, life-giving light in Jesus Christ, when you are engrafted into Jesus Christ, John 15. That is how you walk as children of the light. Verse 11 talks about being exposed by the light, and the darkness is exposed by the light, your sins will find you out. Elders in specific, this is talking to you and to any leaders in the church that if there's sin in the church, it's your job to expose those sins. And it's not comfortable, and it's not easy, and it's better if you nip it in the bud than if you let it spiral out of control. And we are called, not only in this chapter, but actually even in uh, the last chapter, in chapter 4, it says that we speak the truth in love. And that, leaders of the church, is how you do it. When you find somebody who needs a little correction, you speak the truth to the situation. If we have foolish jesting, it's okay to say, let's put the brakes on the foolish jesting and speak holy things to one another as Christians. 
And that can be such a blessing, shedding light on the darkness so that we can live fully in Christ and fully in the, in the calling of the Holy Spirit and all the, all the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Go back and review all the, the fruit of, of the Spirit. In verse 11, we also, uh, actually verse 14, verse 14 is probably the most interesting of this section about the light, and it's the part that, that gets me most excited about the light, and this is a reference, some say, to Isaiah 60. Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The rising of Jesus Christ, this is Jesus Christ's rising and shining in glory over a kingdom of darkness, over a world that has fled away from the light that God created the world in, and blankets and shadows have been covering the world. And now Jesus is, is rising like the sun in the east, and he's shedding light, and the, the shadows are fleeing away. And this is the image that you should have here. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You will only raise from the dead because Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus raised from the dead, and he went to heaven in glory, which means shining like the sun. And that is your expectation in Christ that you would rise. 1 Corinthians 15 says, anyone who doesn't believe in the bodily resurrection can't even call themselves a Christian. The doctrine of the resurrection is what he is referring to here. This whole section about light is referring to Christ as the sun who's rising and shining light on darkness and dispelling it in victory. And that is what we have to look forward to in the resurrection. In this life, we live a resurrection life in expectation of the greater resurrection life to come. He's telling us to walk in the resurrection now. Walk in the hope and the reality that Christ did and you're united to him now as he is resurrected and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Beza, one of uh, Calvin's greatest disciples, said, you your, he, sorry, he didn't say this, but this is his opinion. He says this passage is actually talking not about Isaiah 60, but Isaiah 26. Isaiah is a good book. I encourage you to go read it. Your dead shall live. This is Isaiah 26. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy for your dew is a dew of light. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. Some people say that, that the resurrection is just a New Testament reality. We never heard the Jews. We never heard of this resurrection stuff. We didn't have any resurrection in the Old Testament. Well, we just have uh, 
uh, some prophets laying on children, and then for some reason they got up, but maybe they were just sleeping. We don't know. Is Isaiah not talking about the resurrection? Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. And I mentioned creation in the beginning of this. When we talk about arising from the dust, that's what God did with Adam. He, he formed him from the dust and he, he rose him up and made him into a creature. And so God's just promising you what he intended for Adam in the first place. Eternal life and a resurrection from insignificant dust. There is resurrection in the Old Testament. Verses 15 through 21. Walk in wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Some translations say redeeming the time. And this is particularly important for Christians today. Um, it's it's pretty common for me to, to talk to Christians and, and they say, well, I would like to read the Bible, but uh, you don't understand, I work 80 hours a week and uh, you know, I own a farm. Believe me, I own a farm. I know how much work it is. Uh, so I had to, to uh, do this and do that and, and I don't have time to do all these things. And um, you know what, there's a, there's a shortage of everything. Uh, chips for your cars, or there's potentially shortages of, of meat at the store, so you better stock up. And the days are evil, so we have so many excuses about why we need to work harder, and we can't spend as much time in church, and maybe we can't even go to church at all anymore. Maybe we'll just do it online. We have podcasts that are, you know, have pastors saying things, and we don't have time for all this God stuff. And God's saying, in walking in wisdom, you have to carve out time. These people didn't have freeways and internet and, and all these things, okay? These people had lots of excuses, just like we do. They had to travel by boat to get long distances, and so they didn't have time to do X, Y, and Z. In a sense, their lives are more complicated than yours, and so they had more excuses, right? No, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying you need to redeem the time. You need to make time. You need to carve out time. You need to take that 15-minute break that you usually work through because for whatever reason, and you need to seek the Lord. You need to ask yourself, Jesus, I know that you're in heaven watching me, but I've been ignoring you this whole day. And please just give me a little bit of yourself. Remind me of your resurrection. Remind me of your great sacrificial love. Remind me that you are the light that created the whole world and created everything, even me. Take that 15 minutes to, to read your Bible plan. Redeem the time. We can even redeem the time in our families. Uh, the next thing that, uh, one of the next things he says is that in verse 19, he talks about singing with your families. 
and addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, family worship, carving out time for family worship. I know it's hard. At the end of the day, you come home, you're tired, and you know you might be used to having dinner at all different times. Kids have activities. Figure it out. Carve out some time. Make it happen so that your children, you and your children, can, can sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together. Do it with your friends, your Christian friends. Uh, bowling is not, you know, and spending time together is not enough. Like, we, if you're Christians, you don't just do secular things together. You need to be Christians together. Redeem the time. Find ways that make you different from everybody else. If you're walking in the same way as your heathen friends, how are you any different? Making best use of the time, but do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is wisdom. That's what he's talking about. Psalm 1 says we meditate on the law of God day and night. How do you know the, the will of the Lord? By never thinking about him? By not stealing away? If you had a... a you unmarried folks, if you had somebody you were interested in and you had five minutes to steal away to text them and they wanted you to text them, uh, wouldn't you do that? If you, if you had a, uh, somebody that you liked and you wanted to talk to, wouldn't you steal away a few minutes in the day? We should be doing that. Meditating on the law of God, knowing what his will is, being thirsty and hungering after righteousness, seeking him. He promises if you seek him, you will find. Verse, uh, verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In Acts 2, they, they thought that, that uh, the apostles, they were all drunk because they were filled with the Spirit. When you're having a hard time in your life, is your tendency to seek the Lord and to seek the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit? When you're trying to run away from your problems, is that what you do? At the end of your stressful, we always talk about stress, at the end of your stressful week, what do you do? Do you seek to be filled with the Spirit? And I can guarantee you that whenever you're going through hard times, this is what we talk about in biblical counseling all the time. You put your eyes on the Lord. You fill yourself with the Scriptures. And you start to feel better. And that's part of what being filled with the Spirit is. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he ministers through His Word. Verse 19, also the word, addressing one another in holy speech and song, Deuteronomy 6, meditating on the, on the Lord's words as we rise and as we walk in the way and as we go to bed throughout your whole day. This is the call of walking in wisdom. Are we surprised that walking in wisdom involves like steeping ourselves in the word at, at every possible opportunity? instead of drowning our sorrows in, in wine and, and drunkenness, that we, we, we 
lift ourselves up with the Holy Spirit? Is it, is it any surprise that this is the definition of walking in wisdom? I hope not. I hope for all of you that, that this cuts right to the heart and you say, you know what, that it, that's true. Every time I, I read a psalm and every time I talk to my, my friends about what Christ did in his life, I, I feel better. I, it makes my life better. It makes me love him more. When, uh, when our children are in the NICU, we would sing the doxology to them. And the nurses heard us. And whenever they needed our little children to quiet down, they would go in there and they would sing the doxology, some of them, if they, if they knew it. And our little babies this very day Sephora, whenever she's crying, that's the first thing I try. I try the doxology, and five, five out of ten times, it works. <laughs> she loves singing. And um, what a great thing for our families to, to nurture that in our kids, that uh, immediately, even after a hard day, especially after a hard day of, of kicking and screaming and and um, not eating our food or, or whatever the challenges in your home or, or in, your, in your professional life, that uh, you go to God with joy and rejoicing and singing. What could be better? What could be better advice from the wonderful Apostle Paul? Lastly, uh, verse, well, not lastly, verse 20, giving thanks should be lastly because this is probably the most important reminder. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a life of thanksgiving. This is the wisest way to live. One of my favorite, favorite Puritans, a uh, Westminster divine, Scudder, in his Christian's daily walk says, Take heed therefore that you not be unthankful. It is a most base, hateful, and damnable sin. Prosperity without a thankful heart increases sin. An unthankful man, heaven can be no heaven to him, for there is so much praising of God continually. Nurturing a, a heart of, of thanksgiving. Remember, kids, when I talked about in the beginning, going to the store and coveting things on the shelf doesn't give us a heart of thankfulness. If we're thankful for the clothes we have and, and parents used to talk to their kids about the kids in Ethiopia and how they didn't have anything and, and that was kind of convincing. I don't know if it's convincing for kids anymore either that, that other kids don't have what you have and you should be thankful. You should be thankful for what God has blessed you with, even if it's a very little. Even if it was just a few books and a coat, like Paul. Paul wanted his books and his coat. You know, if we can be just happy with, with whatever God has given us, be content in our station in life.
Nobody talks about contentedness in the Christian life anymore. I don't know why. It's one of the greatest pieces of advice. The Puritans were great at it. Teaching about thankfulness. It's not just for Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving is probably the most genius holiday that we've thought up as Americans. But it's a holiday that the rest of the world also loves. It's a holiday that we should just extend throughout every day of the year. We should always be thankful. Children, when's the last time you hugged your parents and thanked them? And lastly, verse 21, which I think is the culmination, but also the connection to the next part, which is about marriage and wives and husbands. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom is submitting to one another in Christ. Christ submitted to the Father and the will of the Father. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And what a great example that is to us as we selfishly look for our own ends in our own selves, in our own bellies, and our own wants and our own desires. And we look to, to an infinite God who, who really could have and maybe thankfully didn't just leave us to die in our sins, but sent his very son. And this is love. Submission out of fear of Christ. The the ESV says reverence for Christ. I like I like fear of Christ. Christ is the King. He's the one ruling and reigning on high. He will come again, and and He's the one who will judge on Judgment Day. So if you're in the number, you're in the children of God. You have an, an eternal inheritance in Christ. How are you doing at imitating your father, mimicking him, the one who promises you everything? How are you doing at imitating him and doing his will and thinking his thoughts after him? It's not just for David to have a heart after God. It's for you and me. It's for all of us. He was just a good example of what a man looks like who can somehow not think worldly things, but think godly things uh, at the, the most stressful times. What a blessing. Do you look to his holy example, his works of salvation, love for you, his light that, that casts out our darkness, his holy ways of wisdom? We've learned that love's not an emotion or, or a desire, in fact, uh, our emotions and our desires are often the opposite of love. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice given by God, the Lamb of God that God gave us, that he planned from all eternity. He didn't just give us his son. He had always planned for it. Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world, he was planning his great, gracious love for you. That is a, a love Above all love, 
we've learned that, that we give to each other what the other does not deserve because we didn't deserve God's love. We've learned that we put the interest of others before our own. What would the church look like if we were all just serving each other and, and fulfilling each other's needs and being content in our station in life and, and leaving our comfort zones and, and going where there's pain and misery? That's what Christ did. He went where there was pain and misery. What if you go to the, the, the streets in your town where the people are poor and maybe they are on drugs? What if you did that and went to the place where there was pain and misery like Christ did? He had all the privileges of the Son of God from all eternity. He didn't need to live and to die to attain that. He left that for you. Are you going to leave that for somebody else? You counselors out there, that's what you do every day out of the love of somebody else. It's not fun putting yourself in the shoes of somebody who's going through hard times and pain and misery. But it is loving. We've also learned that putting off darkness and putting on light is the way of God. We put off the ways of darkness. We put off all the horrible things that uh, the world puts in front of our eyes. And we say, no, I'm going to put Christ in front of my eyes. A greater beauty, a greater example. We, we know that the Father loved us and he sent his only begotten Son to die for our sins. We put off those sins and we put on a new life. We put on walking in the way that he tells us. I encourage you to, to come to Ephesians 5 and say, Lord, how can I walk in and sacrifice, how can I walk in your resurrection power and, and how can I walk in the wisdom that you have taught me in your word? Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we, we come to you uh, as little children. We come seeking your face to sit on your knee. We thank you that you told us when you were talking to the disciples let the little children come unto me, for such as these is the kingdom of heaven. We thank you, Lord, as we become weak, that we become strong in you, and that your strong name is, is strong enough to save a great number, that your decree has decreed a great adoption. We thank you, Lord, for, for the richness of your word. And we pray that you would make the preaching of the word effectual in our hearts to salvation. Amen.